permission to eat the ice cream in the freezer. How many people can say amen to that? Um, it is. The only way I, I can tell you how to handle that, I'm an expert. Hey, if you don't believe me, ask my freezer. I talk to it a lot. You know what I'm saying? Um, my freezer handle is worn off. The only way you can really defeat and handle temptation of, of not eating that ice cream in the freezer is simple. Don't put ice cream in the freezer. And if you don't put it in there, you ain't going to eat it. You know what I'm saying? And that's about the only way I've been able to handle it, and I've not done a very good job at that um, because I'm in charge of putting the ice cream in the freezer. Well, there are two ways today that we're tempted. We know that God does not tempt us, but there are two different ways that me and you can get tempted. One is from the devil. And what the devil does, and he does very well, is to tempt me and you. Not only the devil, but we are tempted by our own sinful flesh. Many times in our lives, we enjoy blaming the devil for the temptations that we have fallen into and the mistakes that we have made. But if truth would be known, the devil does not need much help in most of our lives, that we're able to handle it pretty well on our own, that we get in mistakes without even him helping out because of our own sinful flesh. We know what temptation is because we have been dealing with it our whole entire lives. No matter how old you are, no matter if you are a senior adult, no matter if you have just went to prom last night, temptations have always been a part of your life. And until you get on that old ship of Zion, um, there's always going to be a part of your life. That's going to be something that is going to happen every day of our life. However, the temptation itself is not a sin. You have to understand that. Just because you are being tempted does not mean that is a sin. Because Jesus himself was tempted. If you look in your Bible in Luke chapter 4 and verses 1 through 13, you see the temptation that of the devil toward Jesus. Then Jesus, being filled with the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, being tempted for 40 days by the devil. And in those days he ate nothing. And afterwards, when they had ended, he was hungry. And the devil said to him, If you are the Son of God, command this stone to become bread. But Jesus answered him and said, It is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out from God. Then the devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdom of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, All the authority I will give you, and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. The devil has never told the truth. He's a liar. That's who he is. <clears throat> he had nothing to offer the Lord. But yet he says all this could be yours. It didn't belong to him. But yet he was still trying to give it. But listen, Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, 
and him alone you shall serve. <clears throat> then he brought him to Jerusalem to see the, on a seat, set him on the high pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you're the son of God, throw yourself down from here. So far Jesus has said it is written twice, but now here the devil says, for it is written. If you do not believe that the devil knows the word of God, then you've not read, read the word of God. He knows what the Bible says. He shall give his angels charge over you to keep you, and in their hands they shall bear you up, lest you, lest you dash your foot against the stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It has been said, it is written, You shall not tempt the Lord your God. Now when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him until an opportune time. Jesus was tempted in all areas, but Jesus never sinned. In Hebrews chapter 4, in verse 15, the Bible says, For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weakness, but was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. We see that the Lord was tempted, but he did not sin, um, but someone did. Jesus did not sin, but I did. You as well, for all have sinned and came short of the glory of God. So what does this mean? That each and every one of us today struggle and mishandle temptation. So we must learn from God, from God's holy word, to teach us how to handle temptation when it comes our way. And what we get to look at today is understand that there is a process of sin. And one thing that I want to show you at the very beginning is how we can handle temptation is first remind ourselves about the judgment of God, about the wrath of God that is there. And many times today, if we are standing in front of temptation, if we are reminded and if we think about the judgment of God, that will get our attention. So I want to show you this process of sin that James pours out for us in verses 14, 15, and 16 to be able to understand and explain to us we can see this temptation coming. We can, it can be clear to us. And in verse 14, we begin with that. And it says, But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Desires is the very first thing that we're going to talk about in this process of sin. Desires of life are given to me and you by God. They do not come from this world. The desires that me and you have um, are from the Lord, and they are needed in our lives. They are not inherently sinful. Desires are something that keep us alive. At the very beginning, I want you to think, unless we felt hunger or thirst, we would never eat or drink. It's the, we have those desires, um, and that gets us to be able to eat when we're hungry get us to be able to drink 
when we are thirsty. Um, if we got never got tired, um, if we never felt fatigued and wanted to rest, then our bodies would finally just fall apart because of not having any type of rest. So the desire to sleep, to rest, is given from God. And the third desire that I want to talk about, I'm not even going to mention it, even though I told the kids went upstairs, but if we didn't have that desire, ain't none of us would be here this morning. Right? Um, so we have that understanding completely. But the Bible says this, and we need to understand this. Um, eating is completely normal. But gluttony is a sin. Right? Um, sleeping is needed. It's completely normal. But laziness is a sin. And the third one that I mentioned, I'm not going to tell you about that, but I'll read a verse about it. In Hebrews chapter 13 and in verse 4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. That desire is from God. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let me share something with you this morning from the bottom of my heart. That verse has yet to be canceled. It's still in God's holy word. As it is written. That's where it is. And those desires that we have um, shall, should be in control of, we should be in control of those desires. That's what's called self-control. And these desires must be our servants and not our masters. What has happened today in America and in my life and your life, food has become our master instead of our um, servant. Sleep has become our master instead of our desires. Well, we don't have a problem with sleep. Then you know what? You're falling asleep. You know really why we have a have a, a oxycodone problem and why we have a, a opioid problem in eastern Kentucky because People like to go to sleep. Those people who are on those drugs, they take those drugs and go to sleep. And they want to sleep for days and days and days and don't want to face any light. And what happens is when you're asleep, you don't feel what? Pain. You don't deal with the world that's going on around you. And you can just let it sleep by. You know what? When we let it become our master, then we're sinning. The food, the sleep, the sex. When it becomes our master instead of our servant is when we get in trouble. And you said, well, how in the world can I do this? You know, this is a good time to use Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. It might not help you do a backflip, amen. But what it can do is help you do what? Flee from temptation. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Christ is able to help me and you handle to be able to be ready for that. And when we understand these desires, we can do this through Jesus Christ. We can. And the second thing we see is still in verse 14. It says, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires and enticed. The second word I want to, the word that I want to bring your attention to is deception. Deception. No temptation appears as temptations and what I mean by this it's very simply when a temptation comes your way there's not going to be a warning label on it 
absolutely zero warning labels are on temptation. There's not going to be a caution saying, you know what, this is a temptation, and if you, if you do this, it will kill you. There's no way that that's going to be on there. Temptations um, uh, never appear as temptations. It always seems more alluring than it actually really is. And James um, uses a lot of illustrations that me and you can relate to. Here in this scripture, he uses a hunting illustration and a fishing illustration. And you know what? That gets people's attentions because there's a few people in here who have been infected by hunting and, and fishing. Um, and you exactly know what, what I'm talking about in that sense. Um, first, the Bible says he is drawn away. So the very first one in Greek, that drawn away, is actually a baiting of a trap. So the very first fish, the hunting illustration, it'd be just like you would bait a trap to be able to catch an animal for its fur or whatever that you would want, a bird or something of that nature. And the second one is enticed, and in Greek, it actually means to bait a hook. So he uses, he gets the attention of a hunter and the attention of a fisherman. And what happens is this, but each one is only attempting when he is, he's what? He's baiting a trap and baiting a hook. And the Bible says in verse 16 of James chapter 1 is simply this, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. The hunter and the fisherman have to use bait to attract and to catch their prey. No fish is going to go deliberately and bite a, a naked hook out there in the water. There's no way. There's no, no fish is just going to walk by there and says, you know what, that's just awesome, that hook hanging there. You know, I'm just going to grab that. No squirrel or mink or whatever or wolf or whatever you're trying to trap is going to walk by a trap and, and see nothing in the trap and say, hey, I'd like to sliver in there and see what I can hang out in. No rat's going to go by a, a, a mouse trap and without cheese in that mouse trap going to say, hey, you know what, I'd like to see if I can stick my head in there for a second just see what it looks like in there. Um, that's not what is going to happen. That is why you put a worm on the hook. The bait attracts the fish to the hook. But not only does the bait attract, because that makes it alluring, that brings attention to, but also the bait hides the hook. It not only allures the fish, but it hides the hook from the fish. So what we're showing you today is this, the devil is a liar. And what he wants to do more than anything in this world is to deceive us. David, King David, would have never looked upon Bathsheba if he would have seen the consequences that she was going to bring in his life. If she would, he would have looked upon her naked on that roof and saw the death that it was going to bring, the saw the destruction that it was going to bring, he would have turned away and went the other direction. But he did not see the hook. He did not see the death. He only saw the worm. He was deceived by the devil. Death and destruction of his family came. Jesus, he dealt with temptation by using the word of God. Three times 
He says, as it is written. When you know the Bible, you can see the bait and know that there's a hook beneath that bait and deal with it decisively. There is nothing wrong with Jesus turning the rock, the stone, into bread. He did it before. He turned the water into wine. There's nothing wrong with him taking him, him being hungry and turning that stone into a loaf of bread. The problem was simply this. It was under the direction of the devil. The devil was in the middle of it trying to convince him to do it the way he wants it to be taken care of and do. He was 40 days of fasting. In the middle of those fastings, he was being tempted by the devil. The devil does not want anything in this world but to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's what he does. And when you know the Bible, when you're a part of the God's word and you understand as it was written, you will see and recognize the bait and understand beneath that worm, that juicy worm is a nasty, nasty hook that will grill me in and destroy my life. We today, if we understand what is written in God's holy word, we will be able to handle temptation. So we have, you have a desire. After that desire, the devil steps in and deceives you, lies to you to make you think that nothing is going to be wrong. And then you have your third D, disobedience. And in verse 15, the Bible says this, Then when a desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. We've moved from emotions, that's our desires, and the intellect, that's the deception that the devil uses, to the will, us actually acting upon those desires. James moves from hunting and fishing to having a baby. <laughs> you know what James is doing? He's, he's hitting all of us. He's getting our attention. Because if you didn't know anything about hunting and fishing, then you probably know something about having a baby. And you understand what, what's going on in this situation. So, you have a desire. I have a desire. We all have them. We buy the lie of the devil. We have been deceived. What happens is this. Desire conceives a way of taking the bait. And now you are deceived. The will gives a stamp of approval. Okay, we're going to do this. And you act on it. You know what James says? It's like you're having a baby. Sin is born. You had that desire. Then you were deceived by the devil. And then you were disobedient. He's comparing it to having a baby. And you know, we had, this morning we had the, the, um, uh, the Lester's twins with us this morning in church. A month old and they're just as cute as they can be and and they you can't tell them apart they're two ounces apart amen you can't tell two ounces of cheese apart much less two ounces of baby apart you know what i'm saying uh, i mean just you no know, way you know what i'm saying and those prettiest little babies but it reminded me of the seinfeld episode you know what i'm talking about some of you all when he looks in there and that little ugly baby he looks whoo he comes back the ugliest baby ever seen in his life, right? But what happens is this. Most of us can agree 
Even if that baby's ugly, we ain't going to say it's ugly. You know what I'm saying? Oh, that's the prettiest little baby I've ever seen. Does his, does his eyebrows always connect like that? You know what I'm saying? Um, that's what I remember about my first baby is his eyebrows went his all the way across. I was like, man, he's going to play basketball one day. You know what I'm saying? Um, but um, what was I can't remember that guy's name with a unibrow. But that, uh, yeah. Um, so you look at that baby, you're, man, it's a pretty baby. You know, he's using childbirth as conceiving this sin because at the beginning when sin is conceived, we think it's what? Fun and pretty. But you know what? That baby grows up and that sin gets uglier and uglier and uglier every single day. I'm not saying your kid's going to get uglier every single day, but sin that is conceived is going to get uglier every single day. The result of being deceived is disobedience and you the result is sin and we're hooked on that sin at that moment. Then after you disobeyed and then in verse 15 we see this. Then when desires has conceived it gives birth to sin and sin when it is full grown does what? Brings forth death. Disobedience gives birth to death not life if we would only believe God's word and see the final tragedy it would encourage us not to take the bait or fall in the trap but that we would flee our youthful lust don't look at the bait look at the hook that's going to get you and the way that you can handle temptation is understanding that you have a desire. And the devil is going to deceive you in that desire. And you have an opportunity every day of your life to either obey the Lord or disobey. And when you follow the path of disobedience and make that unwise choice, that leads unto death. We do not if we would think about the judgment of God and the wrath of God, it would have kept us out of a lot of trouble and it will keep us out of a lot of trouble. But we never should forget about the goodness of God. It's important for us to know of the judgment of God, but it's more important for us to know about the goodness of God. There will be people here with me this morning that you may have been saved because of the fear of judgment of God. That you came forward in church or you, you prayed with someone because you did not want to go to hell. You did not want to experience the wrath of God. And many people have been saved under those conditions and brought to the faith by being afraid of judgment. You can say, well, is that a possibility? You can come to Jesus through any way as long as you come to Jesus and repent. But the problem is this. When you come to Jesus because of fear of judgment, you also, in discipleship, must learn of the goodness of God. 
and how good he is to you and how he's able to care for you and take care of you. Read with me in verses 17 and, and 18. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be kind of first fruits of his creatures. So we see here, the devil lies. That's what the devil does. He has from the very beginning, and the lie that the devil has been telling from the very beginning is this, is that God is holding back on me. God is holding back something from me. That he's holding back a blessing that only he can have, and he don't want to give it to you. He, If he really loved you, he would want you to completely enjoy every aspect of this life. But the problem is this. The goodness of God should keep us from falling into temptation. But think about Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve should have responded to the devil in this way. You know, the Lord is so good to me and my wife, me and my husband, that he has given us this whole entire garden and that we can enjoy every bit of it except this one tree. But I am so thankful and we are so blessed because we don't even need that tree because we have absolutely all the goodness all the blessings, all the, the greatness of this whole entire garden, this one tree is dangerous and it don't even need to be a part of our lives. That's how Adam and Eve should have responded. But the devil came to Adam and Eve and said this, you know what, the Lord's holding something back on you. He don't love you like you think he loves you. What he wants you to do is not eat of this tree because if you eat of this one tree you'll be just like him and you won't need him so he's doing his best to keep you under his feet to keep you from growing faster than him and being more smarter than him to being better than him God's holding you back you know better than God let me share you something. When we get to the place in our life when we doubt the goodness of God, then we are going to believe the lies of the devil. If you believe God's holding back on you and he's not blessing you and he's not good to you and he's not taking care of you, that he owes you something, that you're entitled to something, then the devil is going to take that desire and he is going to lie to you and you are going to take it hook, line, and sinker, and you are going to swallow that bait whole because you think God is holding back and you're doubting the goodness of God in your life. So the problem is this. As soon as we doubt God's goodness, we will be attracted to Satan's offer. And that's when we fall to temptation. And you say, oh, I would never do that. 
the whole point of the message is we've all done that. We've doubted God's goodness. We've doubted that God is so good to us. And many times we've believed the lie of the devil that he's holding back. That he had, there's something better out there that he wants us to keep us from. That's how I lived my life as a teenager. And I'm sure that's how teenagers live their life today. That my parents just didn't want me to have any fun. They was holding back from me so that I wouldn't enjoy my life. But what I forgot and what I did not know, I now know. It was not that my parents hated me and did not want me to have fun. It was that my parents loved me and did not want me to die. Simply as, as that. The Bible says in 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 22, as we close, it says this, Flee also youthful lust. As Southern Baptists, normally we put a period right there and just go on home. And, and we just preach as hard as we can preach on what you ain't supposed to do. I, I can remember going to prom when I was a teen. Can you imagine that? I used to go, I went to prom, junior prom, senior prom, all those stuff. Uh, my, my senior prom, and I got pictures of it, I can show you. My date, she's a beautiful young lady. Um, I hadn't met my wife yet. She was on the other side of the world, so don't say I cheated on anybody. You know, I, I hadn't been there yet. Uh, she was still under communism at that time, you know. Um, but my date had a dad who loved her and a mom who loved her. And she had a dress that would make a southern belle blush. Um, it was literally 30 feet in circumference. It was. It just, from here, it went poof. And like 18 feet on this side and 18 feet on that side. And we dated. We were like, we was dancing like this, you know. As close as you get to her, you know what I'm saying? And when I put her, I had a Mustang, a 1983 Mustang. It was hot. Uh, you don't believe me. You see everybody wanting 1983 Mustangs nowadays. You know what I'm saying? If I'd have kept that one, I'd have had like $1,300 by now. You know what I'm saying? Um, but. I got her in the front seat of that, that, that Mustang and, and I'd poke her dress in that end and when I'd poke a dress on this end, it'd pop out the other end. And I'd go over there and poke that dress and it'd poke out the other end there. And I hated that man before I got out of that place. Like, why in the world did you put a dress on her like that big? But you know, that's how he did. Uh, but it worked. Amen. It worked. I got married later on in life. You know what I'm saying? Um, so... Very productive. If you're wanting, uh, got a teenager, big old southern male dresses. That's the key of that answer. So, but we yell about fleeing useful lust, but the problem is we stop right there. We just yell at our kids, don't do this, don't do this, stop that, quit that. Ah, 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 ah. But we forget that we tell them about the wrath of God and what they're not allowed to do, but we never tell them about the goodness of God we tell them what's to stop doing but we never tell them what to start doing listen to what the Bible says here as it is written flee also youthful lust but pursue righteousness if you want something for your child today you want them to pursue righteousness faith love peace with all those who call on the Lord out with a pure heart. Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, 
Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these other things are going to be added unto you. We not only need to share with our kids the wrath of God, the judgment of God, and I understand the wages of sin is death, and we need to preach that. We need to tell the truth, but also we need to preach, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We need to allow them to understand that there is a goodness of God that is more amazing, more wonderful than you could ever, ever imagine. You know what? Um, I, we were talking about bowling this week, and it kind of got on my, my, my mind. And have you ever bowled with bumpers? Anybody have done that? A couple of you all smiled, but you're too wussy to raise your hand. You know what I'm saying? I think bowling alleys should allow adults to use bumpers because it makes the experience so much better when you have bumpers. And what happens is this. When I was looking at this, I feel like God has given us two bumpers this morning to handle temptation. On the left side of the bowling alley, you have a bumper that's the judgment of God, the wrath of God. And I don't want to throw a gutter ball because I can see the hook. I don't want to fall into temptation because who wants that hook in their mouth? Who wants that trap on their foot? Who wants to end up in that situation? So I, I don't want to fall into temptation because of the judgment of God that's going to come. But then on the other side is another bumper. On the other side of the bowling alley, the alley is God's goodness. On the left, it is very simple. The wages of sin is death. But then on the other one is, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. The other bumper is simply this. I don't want to fall in temptation because that stuff is not what I need. Can you imagine a wise fish in the Eightsville Lake swimming there by the, the dam and seeing a hook with a worm and saying you know what I've not seen many worms hang out around here lately and it's just levitating there it's not going any place this has never happened this is not natural this is so strange so the decision that I'm going to make as a fish today is that I'm going to keep on swimming because that just does not work right with my education as a fish. And I'm going to find my worms where I usually find them. That would be awesome, wouldn't it, if that fish could do that. But that fish is like me and you. Oh, there's a worm. And it's gone just like that. But we have these barriers put up, these bumpers placed in our lives as it is written. I don't want to fall in this trap. I don't want to have a gutter ball. But God put up this bumper so I don't have to. And I can know the wages of sin is death. And I'm going to stay away from that junk. And I'm going to see that other barrier that God's put up. And that's the goodness of God. And God's good to me. I don't need this world. Because my cup runneth over. Guys, there's a lot of women around here. 
God's already gave you yours. Enjoy what God's given you. And don't worry about the others. And understand that you're blessed by God Almighty. And when you understand the goodness of God, then you ain't going to throw gutter balls. Let me share something with you. Even with barriers, even with the barrier of the wrath of God, even with the barrier of the goodness of God, I've still thrown some gutter balls and still have used. But I'm so thankful today that he is faithful and he is just to forgive me of my sins and to cleanse me from all what? Unrighteousness. So today, no matter what excuses I make, I have absolutely no one else to blame but myself. But yet still God loves me. And what he has given me is this. Forgiveness. He has wiped my sins 